0: Hey, everybody. Jim Kerr here. I'm with my buddy, Paul Falcone. We're having a a little sip of coffee. Paul's a really cool guy. He's the CHRO to the stars, I like to call him. He's the chief human resources officer over at the Motion Picture and Television Fund. He's an author and he's got a wonderful series of books out there on talent strategy. Hey, Paul, welcome to the broadcast, man.
1: Thanks, Jim. Pleasure to be here. Loving it. Uh
0: I want to start with that very first question. Is the war for talent fake news? What do you think?
1: Oh, no, no, no. It's very real. Um, All you have to do is go shopping at Target. And when you see all those empty shelves, you realize that the supply chain is broken. And one of the reasons it's broken is because the people chain is broken. And it's really intense right now. In my three decades of working, I've never seen anything like this.
0: Yeah. You know, when I first teed this program up, I was, I don't know skeptical. But the more I read about it, the more I get into it, the more I research it, frankly, for our conversation today, I am with you. I-, I think it's a real thing. But let me ask you this question. The the concept of war for talent's been around for more than 20 years, right? We had Stephen Hankin over at McKinsey, I think, coined the term back in I don't know, nineteen ninety seven, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. We've been arguing with each other ever since about you know how do we get the best and brightest, how do we retain them, um, and so on. So why the headline now?
1: Well, I, one word, COVID. I mean, honestly, in my world, Jim, uh, what I'm seeing out there is just all these intersecting reasons why COVID is pe- keeping people out of work or making people want to retire or go independent. I mean, the reality is what was going on? probably wasn't working for most before COVID. People were exhausted. They talked about work-life balance. There was no work-life balance. We were killing ourselves, right? Yeah. And then COVID comes along and shakes our, our our cage and says, wait a second, are you sure this is really what you want to keep doing for the rest of your life? And so one of the factors that kicks in, Jim, is people say, I don't want to go back to waiting tables anymore. I didn't like it then and I'm not going to do it now. And life is too short. This isn't a you know dress rehearsal. And I'm starting to realize that the best thing to do is I've got to find meaning in my life. So that is one element of it. Then you've also got the, generation, the generational issues. I mean, if you look at the cohort called Baby Boomers, um, these are people now in the last 10 years of their active careers. The reality is they're thinking, hey, you know what? Look what we just experienced. Um, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. I either want to retire now or I want to open up my own shingle and yeah. not have to deal with with." You put all this stuff together, who can't find childcare? There's so many overlapping issues. The reality is we're seeing the results of it. There's just no people out there. So that's what's so hard.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so true. It seems that um, everything's getting delayed. I mean, you shared a story with me before we went live, right? I mean, even the publishing industry, something that I uh, care about, it's near and dear to me, you know, Uh, they're having a hard time finding people. So... Publishing books are delayed, and so on. You know, here's a a, a related question to War on Talent, and it it has to do with the Great Resignation. That, That seems to be the headline these days. And to your point, you know, people are reconsidering their priorities. They're perhaps having lived through the last 18 months saying to themselves, hey, look, I don't know if my career is my most important thing anymore. Um, they're shifting away from from business and so on. Should we be worried about this? Do you think top leaders who are trying to staff winning organizations should be concerned about this? Or do you think it's gonna dissipate once we get our arms around the, this pandemic and have it better managed? What, what say you, Paul?
1: The answer to your question, Jim, is yes. Um, on both. I think they really do have to worry about this. But I do think the society is going to find new traction and, and we'll, we'll reinvent ourselves and we'll move forward. In many ways, when you come out of something like COVID, you'll be better off for it, right? What we're finding as an example is there is God, more work-life balance.
0: I, I, I hope so, man. <laughs> I know, I know.
1: Uh, no, but seriously, when you think about, okay, it's a hybrid working relationship. I can work remotely two days a week. The pro- productivity doesn't go down. But I feel like I have more control of my life. That's a real concrete example of how this can help us get better at at the problems that we were having before. Yet at the same time, there's two key factors how do you find them, right? It's it's the attraction, and how do you keep them? It's the retention. And companies that are wise, for example, Jim, are not going to say, okay, COVID's over, everyone back to work Monday morning at eight o'clock. I don't want to hear of any exceptions. I mean, they certainly can do that. That's their prerogative. But I think workers are going to say hey listen i could probably find something that's a little more flexible down the street and that's going to kill your attention so i think you have to find that balance but to mckinsey's point the the, the people are your profit lever so you better make sure you're finding the right ones you're nurturing them and you're growing that talent
0: yeah definitely and and you and i both write extensively on those topics around culture retention uh you know, getting the right players and the right seats and all that stuff. Um let me riff a little bit off of your last point though. So while the pandemic has left people sick and tired and exhausted and rattled and all the things that that we know because we've probably lived through those kind of feelings ourselves. And it but sort of a and again I I'm really stretching this a bit, but it, because all those notions of how work happens—it's it, it's all been upended—and and to your point, we're likely to see some kind of scenario where we've got hybrid work models and we got remote work models. But what about things that I'm also seeing a call for out there, like the four-day work week, or even more radical—the 25-hour work week. Um, Should top leadership be listening to this, or is it just noise? What do you think?
1: It depends. Um, For example, if you're asking that question to a high-tech company in Silicon Valley, (laughs) they should listen because those are usually the cutting-edge types of organizations. They're hiring only millennials and Gen Z, um, and and they're smart to listen to what the needs of those cohorts are, right? Like, where does that work? Is that necessarily going to work everywhere in corporate America? I don't think so. And I don't even think there would be people who would necessarily want that. People do like the rhythm of their jobs. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it's the social part of their lives. To tell them that you have to work remotely 100% won't work for them because they'll miss people. So, But the point is, depending on what you do, where you are, what your culture is, who your employees are that you're hiring, that could be a way to go, Jen. But it's not a one-size-fits-all. This is not a steamroller approach. Just be wise to listen to where your particular population is taking you. And as much as you can accommodate that as a business leader, that's a smart thing to do.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, But I got to say, I mean, my reaction to a thought, like a 25 hour work week is pretty like, really, can we pull that off? And again, I guess it's coming from a guy who's been a management consultant all these years. You know, I'm entering year number 30. I hate to admit that.
1: Congratulations. That's great.
0: Yeah, thanks. But I got to tell you, man, I've been working the normal 50, 60, 70 hours a week, depending on an engagement. I tend to be project related work. So I'm in there pretty much full time with a client. But man, I I really, really work hard. And to think of, you know, pairing that back to 25 hours, I don't know, man. And I'm not sure how to how a business would pull it off, really. The the
1: nature of the transition of the business world right now, Jim, is unbelievable. It really is. Um, people like you, the the need for the consulting is so high. Um, I don't there's that book out there, The Four Hour Work Week by Ferris. I think oh. that's a great book. I loved it. It got great resources from it. Yeah. I don't know that that's really the real thing, right? I, are we ever going to get to a point where you can take a pill, like on the Jetsons, remember, that the and you have a pill and it's your three meals a day, and, and you're done? I don't think we're ever going to get there. And well, I, don't know, well, man, I, I got, don't
0: know. I got to stop you, man. You're Now you're dating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> a Jetson reference.
1: If you don't know the Jetsons, then sorry, uh, you, you gotta be a, love it, man. a boomer for that one. But but yeah. you know, it was it was it was Space Age, and they took yes. a pill, and that was yeah. their three meals for a day. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna get that, I, and I don't know that we necessarily even want that, Jim. So extreme, it's almost like saying, well, you don't have to work to work. Yeah, right. and it's like, yeah, no. Nah. But 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 yeah. the reality becomes, you just don't know, and there can be situations where. Certain things will work to certain, it's the equivalent of a part-time employee, right? Your company needs part-time employees sure. and part-time employees need work. So can you find a way to make that work? The answer is yes, but are you gonna take away your core full-time staff? Right. Probably not. Right. So,
0: yeah. no, I'm, I'm it's a great you. question. I, yeah, I, I, and I love it, it is provocative and I love playing around with sort of those provocative ideas, but scaling it back, you know, to that degree, I think is gonna be pretty hard to pull off. Because there's a lot of thought leadership stuff that has to happen all week long to get things out there new products right. you know capture new business and so on let me shift gears a little bit too and this is sort of related to much of what we've already discussed today and, and it's around the notion that we're entering an age where i'm i, don't know, I almost have a feeling that we have career rejectionists do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, I It's do. Those, pe- those people that are just saying, I don't care about my career. Um, so I'm going to quit, or I'm going to move away, or I'm going to do that thing I always wanted to do. Um, do you think this is a trend we've got to pay attention to, or do you think it, it's sort of a passing moment in this pandemic year or two that we're in?
1: Do I think it's a trend? Yes, because COVID. To my point earlier, I think people are questioning everything. And do I really need to go back to that line of work that I was doing before, which I hated so much? I don't want to do that. I'll do anything not to do that. That logic is out there. I do think that's very, very real. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing people not coming back to their jobs. On the other hand, at some point, you got to pay your bills. And people are going to realize once the economy does come back and the unemployment benefits stop, they may have to go back into those roles, even if their main goal is to only do it temporarily. And maybe they want to go back to school and they want to retool and reskill and get educated and licensed mm-hmm. in other areas. Mm-hmm. But it's a scattergram. It's yeah. an absolute scattergram. I and mean, that's yeah. what that's what COVID did. It unleashed all of this stuff where if you can retire, you will. If you can consult rather than work in corporate, you will. If you can go back to your old job, but you don't want to and find something else that pays equally as well, you'll do that. Yeah, and that's we haven't done a pandemic in a hundred years. So, yeah, guess right. what? This is what it unleashes. Yeah, and right. again, some will come out as winners. You have to remember I, about what two years ago, I never heard of of Zoom. I never heard <laughs> right. of Zoom. Right. Now I'm, I'm a Zoomaholic like so many right. others. Right. But you see how that technology was the right thing just in time. And you know they'll do very very well through all this craziness. But uh, again, it's it's uprooting a lot of the traditional. Platforms and foundations.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and you know, you reference the idea of people being sort of unhappy in the jobs that they have, and, and clearly the millennials are looking for meaning in work. Uh, so they're leaving jobs too, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I, again, I, I I shrug my shoulders when I'm reading some of the stuff that people are cranking out there. Like you know, the millennials will never take a job again. I don't know. I mean, my thought is many of them were underemployed anyway. They came out of school. They came in during a period of time where a lot of them had to take unpaid internships. Now, quite frankly, I'm kind of surprised that child labor laws didn't kick in and prevent (laughs) employers from doing that because they really exploited this young talent. And as a consequence, these, these kids coming out of school over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years have taken jobs that sort of are below where they're, what, what they're really prepared to deliver. So I guess my question is, is, what do you think about the millennials coming back to work?
1: The millennials have had it tough. So in my world, millennials are typically, <clears throat> excuse me, like 35 and under.
0: Your yeah. Zenials,
1: your Gen Z is usually about 25 and under. Yep. But the millennials had a particularly tough, Jim, because they came out around 2008, right? Just as this market was crashing and the whole yep. mortgage meltdown and they couldn't get traction in their careers. It's like, you know what, how important yes. it is right after you graduate right. college, you got two to three to five years to kind of find your way when there's nothing available and you have to go home and, and you can't find anything. That became that generation's, that cohort's reality. And that was really, really tough for them. But the thing you have to remember, too, is both Gen Y and I have a frog this morning. I apologize. <clears throat> I'm not sure why. Both Gen Y and Gen Z are the most studied cohorts in history. And our social scientists know what they're looking for. And it's over and over again. I keep reading these things. They want diversity, equity, and inclusion. They want corporate social responsibility. They want environmentalism. But most important in my world and your world is they want career and professional development. Right. If you're smart, if you can tune into those things and you can become that kind of leader that's talking to people about, you know, let me help you prepare for your performance review. But while we're doing it, let's talk about building your resume and building your LinkedIn profile. Mm. If you can become that kind of leader, you're going to have great retention because it's we know it's what the cohort w- wants. Right. But, and again, if you, I hate to say it, but if you're someone who's like, well, we didn't need that in my generation, we figured it out for themselves, for ourselves. <laughs> so they should do it themselves too. Yeah. That logic may not serve you in the long run.
0: It may, it may
1: run you into some problems.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. Um, in fact, I wrote an article, I don't know, back a couple of months ago, um, kind of on that hybrid work world thing. And, and my, my, my basic headline was, it's not going to be remote. So I, I, I took a stance, I put a stake in the ground, I said, it's not going to be completely remote. And one of the main reasons that I listed in the piece was, how do we develop the next generation of leadership through Zoom? You know, we. we it, I think it's a, a pretty big ask yeah. to have these kids think that they're going to be able to learn how to be great leaders one day when the only coaching they've been able to get perhaps is through a phone call or a zoom call um as a consultant that does a lot of stuff in in that space you know i i'll come out of a meeting on a project that i'm working on and if i see a a younger or less experienced person maybe muffle something in, in that meeting i might do the you know, proverbial arm, arm around the shoulder thing and say, hey, let me, sure, right. let, me, let me talk to you for a couple of minutes and give that person feedback and coaching. That can't happen, or I don't think it happens effectively in a Zoom world. So I think hybrids probably going to stick, but I don't know if full remote is really the, the answer to all our problems here. This,
1: certainly not. I don't see our, our cities emptying out. And to your point, it's like Yeah, there's so much you can do. There's a lot of the same things you can do. It has to be more deliberate, more intentional when you're doing things remotely, and I get that. But the truth of the matter is, most people still have that social element, that, that psychic income that comes from work, oftentimes comes from the friendships that develop. Yeah. And, you know, we like, we're, you know, we're not bees in a hive that stay in our own cocoons. Each I'm messing up my metaphor, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the, the reality uh, is, the, I'm only time, yeah, I, a, the only time, like, I think a company is going to get to a point where they say we want to be 100% remote is when they no longer want to pay for real estate. Yeah. So then they say, look, we're getting out of that world and we want everyone working from their homes. And in certain cases that can be done. Sure. But that's not going to be the norm. That 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 will be for specific isolated industries that can do that. Most of us want to be at work, want to be among people. We don't want to be locked up in our apartments all day long, 40
0: yes. hours a week. That, that's yeah. not
1: the real human experience.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and, and certainly certain roles can be done remotely, but I don't think entire businesses can can really, at least for the long term, successfully run that way. I would agree, yeah. Um, let's shift to women. We wouldn't be talking, uh, or, or doing this topic justice if we didn't look to all of what's going on with the, 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 women professionals out there. I saw a thing in Forbes recently, they reported, I think it was 61% of women are planning major career moves, uh, in, in, post-pandemic. Um, uh, and this comes at a time where I think businesses seem to be hyper-focused on, advancing women and and even diversity and inclusion. Do you think if Forbes is right, if this attrition really starts to happen, that we're gonna lose the progress we've made with things like diversity and things like advancing women in roles in corporate America? What's your idea? What's your thought?
1: Okay, so I'm an eternal optimist, just so you know, to kind of frame my response to this, Jim. I think what's going on is, Fabulous. We have more women in medical school than we have males. Okay. You have more, more women in, in, in law schools than you have males. I mean, there's so much going on. And, of course, in many organizations throughout the country that, again, looking at the demographics, what the millennials want, the, the diversity, equity and inclusion, yeah. 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 we're starting to see that we're actually seeing the pendulum move. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about you know, 50 years ago, they passed Equal Pay Act and, and, and these types of things, and we're still not there but it is moving in the right direction. And even in certain states a couple of years ago, they passed the laws that said, you can't ask for salary history. You can ask them what they're looking for, but you can't ask them what their historical salary history was Mm -hmm. because the logic is as an employer, if you basically award every new hire 10% over what they were making before, you're just perpetuating the inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. So we're we're getting there. I'm very optimistic about this. And women are leading the way. And women ERGs, you know, the employee resource groups that are happening, women leadership. I, I, this is like the Renaissance time. So yeah, they're going to be people who we need to see more board participation for women. We need to see more corporate, you know, Fortune five hundred CEOs mm-hmm. as women. But we're getting there. The momentum has never been as strong as it is right now. So that's why I say I'm actually very optimistic about it. And I think that I'm not saying we're returning to a matriarchy. I don't want to get too far. But but you know what? We're having this female leadership muscle being built like we've never seen before. And I'm really optimistic about it. It's great to see. That's our best. When you think about in the United States, they always think we are the ones known for innovation, that no one can outsource the innovation that we have in the United States. And And I love that thought. But at the same time, we have more participation in the workforce because women have, I won't say total equal opportunity with men, but we're moving towards that. Whereas there are other societies where it's men, 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 and women are a second thought. They're never going to be able to compete with us because we've got a strategic advantage over them that we are strengthening now every day.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm with you and and I'm definitely optimistic about all the great progress that's been made over the last, really, couple of decades when you think about it. right? Um, It's not in my calculus it never really was so I came out of, of school you know 30 plus years ago and it was already in my mind sort of a uh a, a equal playing field now of course that's coming from a, a white male <laughs> right? no I totally get it um but I've always operated like you know there's there's no uh there's no issue there except I'm going to be challenged by some really bright people um but I am concerned that if everyone starts to to really buy into this shift of we're not about careers, we're not about, you know, it's not a, not an important thing. I think some ground could be lost here if we're not careful. Um, let me shift a little bit to, to another topic that, that I write about and actually spoke about in the last episode. Um, and that's this whole thing about ageism. Is ageism sort of this dark, little secret not being discussed uh, by our so-called experts on the war and talent or or what?
1: Yeah, it's real. I, you know, I, I can't sit back and say it's not. I don't think any employer can. Um, but what I will tell you is this. When people come to me and they're like, Paul, I'm too old to find a job and I'm being discriminated against, my I, I understand that that is a factor, right? But you right. also have younger people who can say they're being discriminated against too. It's not the same kind. But there is that element of discernment. The reality is, it's how you hold yourself. The best advice I've ever given people is, you know, for example, in the company where I work now, we hired someone to be a divisional leader who was probably 75 at the time we hired her. Wow, good. But when you hold yourself a certain way, the age is invisible to people. I mean, they don't, they're Mm -hmm. like, what, she's that old? I would never know. She's so hip. She's so fun. She's always laughing. Mm -hmm. She's so sharp. Be careful not to kind of pigeonhole yourself and give yourself 50 reasons from tomorrow as to why no one's going to hire you. Don't look at it that way. Maybe it is a new suit. You know, maybe, you know, you kind of need to perk it up a little bit. I I agree with you, Jim. I don't look at it. I don't see it. I really, truly look at myself and I don't see black and white and male and female and old and young. I don't. But where I think that's going to get better is your millennials and your Gen Zs. I really think we're moving to a point where these kids are growing up and they're like, you know, whatever, yeah. I, I don't, why do you even talk about that? We're right. still talking about it because we're the transitional generation that's trying to get from mm. point A to point B. Yeah. I think the newer generation, if I'm not wrong, will probably be much less interested in points M and Z and and Y they're not at AB a, anymore that yeah. these talk, these topics will become blind to them. And that's really where you hope that's where you have a quality of opportunity yes. and that's yeah. where you want it to reach.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I'm with you too. And I, and I wrote about that, in fact, in a book back in 06 called The Best Practices Enterprise. And it was that whole notion of being able to to really just, you know, don't care about the person's characteristics or demographic, care about what they're bringing to the table. And now, now you've got the makings of a highly effective team. Correct. You know... Mm-hmm. Um, you know <sighs> Yeah. I mean, the thing with ageism for me to kind of play around with this a little bit more with you is, you know, we're on this war for talent. All the numbers are suggesting that that employers are having a hard time finding people. There's a whole bunch of people that are older that are willing to come back to work. Um, yet we're not seeing that trend really taking shape. I, you know, Yes, as an individual who might be looking for work, who's an older individual, you got to maybe spruce things up a bit, but we've got to help our leaders think differently about that talent that's sitting there on the sidelines, ready to play and figure out how to bring them into the game. Now that's kind of where, where I think the focus has to be. It's, it's more on the employer, not so much the, the potential of these, this older generation of worker you
1: know. Jim, I agree. Let me suggest one thing, though. Demographics are going to fix this to a degree. Yes, there may be people available now who want to come back to work, but because of COVID, they're really thinking "Uh, maybe now isn't the time. So that's one factor. Another factor is following the baby boom was the baby bust, right? They introduced the birth control pill in 64, and we went from a cohort of 77 million baby boomers to 44 million Gen Xers. Mm -hmm. There's a big gap that's coming. and so. Companies are going to have to, it's just going to be logical. I mean, you've got to find people. And if these people are retirees who want to come back into the workplace as long as they can do the work, it's going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I've always read about, which fascinates me, is I like those books about the next hundred years, you know, those organizational forecasting kinds of books. And it's basically saying by the time you get to the 2030s and the 2040s, we are going to be recruiting people to come from other countries into our country, even for manual labor types of jobs. Yeah. So, so much of the, oh, the border issues that we're, I understand that, but you also have to be wise enough to understand that the com- the countries that are able to recruit that type of talent to harvest, to do things that maybe, for example, Americans may not want to do, Yes, the competition is going to come from how sure. competitive yeah. an offer can you make yeah. people to leave a country to come to us? Yeah. So these things shift over time. You just have to kind of keep your eye on that 30,000 foot view.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's. Brings to mind one of my favorite books uh, in that genre. The, the late great Watts Wacker uh, had the the book, The Five Hundred Year Delta, and you might have a hard time finding it these days. It came out a while ago, but what a what a great book! And I went back and looked at it when the pandemic first hit, and man, he was spot on in so many. No, ways. no kidding! Yeah, yeah, check it out, Five Hundred Year Delta, Watts Wacker. Hey, well, look, they... we got we got a few minutes left. I want to talk to you about. And sort of pick your brain, I guess, uh, for ideas for how do we fix this turnover and retention problem that we clearly have here.
1: Well, you could write a book on that topic. Okay, yeah, so sure. he, 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 here I just wrote
0: an article. <laughs> See? I get
1: to my point. You proved yeah. my point.
0: Okay, yeah, it's so l- stuff.
1: just real quickly by the basics, when it comes to retaining people, make sure that you are talking to these new cohorts because the Gen Z, Gen Y makes up almost 50%. of of the workforce right now, and that number is going to be changing tremendously in the next 10 years. Speak their language. Make sure that your recruitment advertising does talk about your appreciation of diversity in the workplace, corporate social responsibility, environmentalism, career professional development. Get those words out there because you want to attract people that, listen, we've got the playbook. They're the most studied cohort in history, so let's sell to that. Okay, on the flip side, on the retention side, Now's the time, Jim, to start talking to your people about career and professional development. We should have been doing it all along. We haven't as a society. I've worked in Fortune 500. I've worked in small companies. It's not really there. It's figure it out on your own. It's time to have managers who, to your point, become coaches. And when you can coach someone and say, I want to meet with you quarterly, I want you to run the meeting. You schedule the time. You tell me what you want to talk about. We're going to review your goals. I want to review your professional and career goals and how I can help you get there, whether it's more technical skills, more exposure within the organization, you know, rotational leadership into other units, get them to feel so motivated about staying with you that if they get an offer for 15% or 20% elsewhere, they're not going to take it because they like working for you so much. So, I mean, that's really the basic strategy to it all. It's knowing the handbook and really trying to, reposition yourself and refocus what you're doing as an organization to meet those needs. Cause they're good needs. They're noble needs.
0: Right. It's, it's um, healthy. Yeah. You know, in, in the piece that I posted this week on LinkedIn, I, I kind of talked about giving three things, right? It's, it's meaning identity and community. And if you can give your people that then you don't have a staff retention problem. Correct. And, and you probably don't have a recruitment problem. Because people are gonna to wanna to work for someone who can give them meaning identity community. Now, my good friend Mahan Tavakola came up with this great acronym and it's it's Mike, right? Meaning identity community. So my catchphrase these days, at least for the last week or so, has been give them the mic.
1: Give them the mic. I like that. <laughs> All right. right,
0: man. Hey, look, it, it's been a terrific conversation with you, Paul. Thanks so Thanks, much. Man. No, well, oh, we'll my carry... pleasure. It was a blast.
1: I had a great time.
0: Yeah. And we'll, we'll carry it on on LinkedIn Live. Um, but until next time, cheers, my friend. It was great being with you today. Um, next, my next episode is going to, this might be one you're interested in too. It, it's, it's going to uh, be with um, Diana Wood David, who is a workplace futurist. There's that key word, futurist. And she was an assistant to Kissinger back in the day and, you know, part of Kissinger Associates, we're going to explore this question. What will it look like to work in the year 2031? So what's the work world look like 10 years from now? So, That's a cool oh, topic. Yeah, it should be fun to pass <laughs> it around with, with Diana. Anyway, man, thanks so much. Uh, I look forward to talking with you some more.
1: Sounds Giselle, good, Jim. Good Thank luck you. with the book, okay? Thanks, sure.
0: All right.